continues its left, right, and center, and we welcome back the originators of the program, Jeff Schlemmer and Robert Metz, uh, to Hi, get together again. Hi, Jeff. <laughs> nice <laughs> you know, to see you Together again. at last, or whoever that was. <laughs> nice to have you here, guys. Of course, this is the part of our program every week where we explore uh, social issues generally and uh, try to take a look at them from a variety of perspectives. Sometimes uh, my guests are at loggerheads. Sometimes they agree. Sometimes all three of us uh, throw it around the table. Uh, we never know quite what's going to happen, and that's why I like it. And uh, again, according to the uh, market research we do, uh, you like it too. So we're pleased to have you with us again today. Um, I have to apologize, guys. I don't have numbers, accurate numbers, for what I'm about to tell you. At least they're as accurate as my memory is, and I may be out a little bit, so bear with me. And folks, if you have the accurate, and I tried to get them, if you have the accurate numbers, please don't hold it against me for not being dead on the money. Uh, here's the story, though. Angus Reed Group did a world uh, survey of about 14,000 people around the globe, and they did it on the same demographic basis that they do their Angus Reed surveys here in Canada. And I believe 20-some, I think 28 countries, could be a little bit out by that, but 20-some uh, countries were involved. Um, and they sought to get answers to a wide variety of questions. Some of the things that they discovered were kind of interesting. I'll just share a couple with you, and then I'll come back to what I really want to talk about. More than 9 out of 10 people had a television set. Now, again, these are supposedly representative polls, so the extrapolation of that would be that 9 out of 10 people on the planet, or at least perhaps not entirely on the planet, but in these countries, which included China, Taiwan, um, the Philippines, Israel, United States, Canada, Great Britain, France, anyway, you get the picture, all around the world, 9 out of 10 people had a television set. So, I'm not, don't, I'm not sure what that means. And many of them did not have... Cars, dishwashers, clothes dryers, telephones. But they had a television set. Anyway, what I found interesting, and I actually heard about this on uh, on uh, the national radio network, the CBC, and this is why my finger my my figures are not exact because I was so astounded by what I was hearing that I'm I didn't write it down. Anyway, I'm going to get close to it. They um, included in this survey. They asked two questions. The first question was, and I'm paraphrasing slightly, but this is it. Do you believe it is acceptable? for people to be allowed to amass fortunes to keep the money on. Let me back up a little. Do you believe it is acceptable to allow people to accumulate, that was it, fortunes, even if it means that other people may be poor? The second question was, and again I'm paraphrasing, but this is a sense. Do you believe government has a valid role in the redistribution of wealth to ensure that there is, uh, no, back up a little, to ensure that there aren't gross disparities between the rich and the poor. In other words, not to give everybody the same amount of money, but do you believe government has a valid role? Now, the answer to the first question, or the results of the first question, which is, do you believe it's okay for people to make money even if there are poor people? Uh, around the world, the survey, 52% of the people said, no, we don't think that's okay. 48% said, yes, that's just fine. All right, 48 and 52. Those figures are, are right. I do remember them. The answer to the other one um, was closer, and this is where I may be out by a point or two. It seems here it was about 60% said, yes, they thought there was a role for government, and only 40% said, no, they didn't. Now, that's okay, and this is this worldwide poll. Then they went to the United States of America, 
in Canada's numbers were very close to this. In the United States of America, and here's where I may be a little off, the answer to the first question, is it okay? Somewhere in the neighborhood of 80% of the people said, yes, it's okay. Um, the answer to the second question about, is it okay for the, does the government have a role, should the government have a role in redistribution? Something on the similar road, 69 or 70 or something percent said, no. Now, here is the interesting thing to me, guys. And again, I'm not trying to, to, to set this up as an either-or proposition. I'm just going to ask my guests to comment on what they think it means. The, the commentator on this CBC program, and he was speaking at a conference about uh, equality. So take, make of that what you will. But this was a, a, a conference at UBC about equality and equity and all these wonderful things that, that uh, we're supposed to want. Um, so let's put it in the context of where he was coming from. His analysis of this was that... This just shows, once again, that these rapacious Americans are not in tune with the rest of the world. That uh, um, they're just, you know, they're just not, they're just not with it. They haven't, and he actually used the term, let me think for something right, um, progressive thinking. He referred to progressive thinking, that obviously the Americans were not progressive in their thinking and the rest of the world was. Now, having set the scene here, here's what I want to kind of throw it to you guys. What he didn't say, and what struck me here was, here we have this nation that says overwhelmingly, no, we don't buy the idea that there should be restrictions, restrictions on making money just because not everybody's making money. And we don't buy the argument that government has a role to intervene, to redistribute all that wealth. That, those are the results that fly in the face, and, and, and I should make this point too, uh, the United States and Canada was included. Our numbers were very similar to theirs. Um, if you take ours out of the mix, then the percentages change even more radically on the rest of the world. I mean, even more of a larger percentage thinks that, yeah, we shouldn't be allowed to do this and government should redistribute. Right. But, but, but here was my thought as I'm listening. I'm thinking, wait a minute. Here is the most successful, prosperous country on the planet. This is the country with the highest standard of living. This is the country that has led the world in improvements in virtually any area of life that you want to name from health care to technology. This is the country that, that today is the economic engine of the globe. This is what they believe. And yet this guy was saying, well, obviously they're just out of step. They're just not progressive thinkers. And, and Jeff, I'm going to ask you to comment on that. Um, what do you make of those figures? Is the, his point was the Americans just don't get it. M my thought in hearing this is, well, maybe he doesn't get it, whether we like it or not, whether it's politically correct or not, these attitudes. How do you argue with success? Uh, well, I guess uh, the first thing is that uh, the sort of natural implication of what, what the numbers suggest seem to say that... Um, the country that is the wealthiest and most successful is also the country that uh, that is least interested in wealth redistribution and is most interested in saying you can accumulate as much as you want. But I don't know if that would necessarily hold true. And I look at the success of uh, of the North American continent and and why it has been you know dominant for the last century and a half, I guess, uh, in world events. And and I don't know if it's as simple as saying it's been a free enterprise place, uh, you know, sort of. Um, 
uh, accumulation of wealth has been the number one priority, or whether that whether what we have here is more of a balance, and that is that that certainly is a goal, and that is a an attribute that's valued highly, and uh, it's an attribute that I value. I, I like the idea of people going out and trying to figure out new ways of doing things better, and uh, if they can accumulate wealth uh, all to the good, that's great. Um, just question where I would differ is should there be an end limit to that? Should there be you know as the line of Gordon Gecko in the movie Wall Street, how many how many yachts can you uh, water ski behind? Um, and I would suggest that I think that uh, part of the success of North America has been that there's been a diversity of, of uh, people, of a diversity of goals, that altruism has continued to be valued. Um, so I don't think it's as simple as saying, you know, U.S., uh, Canada successful and also interested in wealth accumulation. Therefore, wealth accumulation leads to successful, uh, prosperous countries that are, that are best for everybody. That's part of the equation. But if we had that without the um, social programs that uh, in a lot of ways uh, uh, North America has led the way in, or at least it did during the Depression, um, and following the Depression, if it wasn't for those things, I don't think we'd be doing as well as we are. Uh, in other words, if we didn't have things like uh, the security of a country where you can go to bed at night and be reasonably secure that you're not going to wake up dead, um, that uh, you've got uh, health care, you've got all kinds of education, uh, the things that we work together around, I would suggest, are uh, a big part of the reason that we're a successful, prosperous country, along with the fact that we have let businesses have their way and uh, and run with ideas, um, which again, as I say, is something that I think even most lefties in Canada don't have a big problem with having uh, hugely prosperous uh, companies and hugely prosperous people. Um, I was noticing today, for instance, in the Freeze, they uh, had the article about uh, Canada's richest 100 people, and I looked through the people that uh, they listed, the list of the top 10, I think, and those those are all extraordinary people. No question about it. I'm glad to have them. I think they did make the note, if, the point there, if I'm not mistaken, that three quarters of them had built self-made, their, self-made that's built right. their fortunes themselves. Robert, what do you make of all this? Well, of the statistics, not too much. It just basically says that half of us feel one way and half of us feel another way on a worldwide basis, with the larger proportion of uh, the folks in North America being more uh, leaning towards uh, more private property rights and wealth accumulation rights. Uh, which, of course, is very important because, you know, when you said that this fellow commented that the United States is not in tune with the rest of the world, I'm thinking, wait a minute, I think the world's not in tune with the United States. That's the standard you aspire to. Um, in, you know, the, the issue of wealth accumulation is, is basically the whole issue between socialism and capitalism and, and every political debate on the right and the left. And a successful country and a country that, that has the fewest poor people in it is always a country that allows the greatest capital accumulation because it is from capital that jobs and opportunities and things like that can be created that we can actually uh, produce things you know, you know the, the capitalist approach to welfare for example would be to create a capital fund from which the interest payments and, cer- and certain earnings fr- w- would pay towards the cause that the fund was raised for much like the John Davidson journey. Like, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to me, that is a capitalist um, welfare s- system. Mm-hmm. He's creating a permanent fund that, that, that is actually a real safety net. Mm-hmm. There is a ball of capital there. Socialism just takes wealth from people who earn it as they earn it and spend it right there, spends it right there on the spot. And out of that, you don't get any wealth creation. You get no um, spur to the economy. You get no. You know, you're, t- you're actually taking opportunities out of the economy. Um, all that government can do, it cannot.
create wealth. It can only take it from one person who's created it and hand it over to another person who didn't. But again, simple as that. That's a, the only role the government can possibly on a, take. On a worldwide basis, the, the numbers aren't 50-50, they're more 60-40, and if you take the Americans and the Canadians out of that, it's probably 70-30 or 75-25. Sure. I think that has a lot to do with the comparative poor performances of those countries compared to the states. So are these and as long as Canadians want to keep thinking more like that than Americans, we will be poorer than Americans. So are these, are these people then, the people who say they think there is a role, are they just looking for their piece of the pie? Are these absolutely, people who don't have it? Absolutely. I've, I've, I've met very few poverty activists and very few people who claim to be supporting the poor who are really interested in doing that. They all want universal programs. They all want free medicine. They all want free health care and free education and, and uh, all kinds of government uh, entitlements to which they feel righteously entitled. So what, what, what do you do with that? Um, it's a moral issue. You know, do you have a right to the earnings of someone else simply because that person took the effort to make more money than you did? Um, you know, that, to me, is, is the basic issue here. Do I have a right to, say, Jeff or Jeff's earnings because he works hard and he establishes a huge successful law firm and makes millions of bucks? That doesn't give me a right to his money because... What if Jeff never existed to make those millions of bucks? Where would my right of did my right, yeah, right disappear to that money? Yeah, but Jeff has Jeff has a nice shiny red car. Uh, you don't have a nice shiny red car. I happen That's to right. know. Um, why should Jeff get to drive around with it whenever he feels like, and then the car sits there for 23 hours a day? You might be able to use it. Why shouldn't you have a? You know, why should he be able to say no, Bob? It's well, my because car. Because Jeff and I made different choices, and Jeff decided to have a red car. I didn't. Maybe, maybe Jeff owes money on that car, and I don't want to have a debt on my car or something like that. Could be anything yeah, like that. Yeah, but the that. car's there. The point but, is, the car's. And I'm, but, I realize I'm grossly that, oversimplifying, but the car is there. Je in our system, Jeff all quote owns the car. The car is really not being used very effectively. I mean, you could use the car to go all sorts of places while Jeff's at work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the phenomena that we're seeing now, which which will be an interesting one to see how it plays out, is that you, there now is the opportunity to amass um, the kind of wealth that, that uh, nobody could even imagine uh, uh, 10, 20, 100 years ago. Uh, and you look at uh, Bill Gates, for instance, is up to, what, 90 billion, I think, well, now. I'm not so sure that that's, not, that's unimaginable. We've had incredibly wealthy people in the past. Yeah, we have, but I don't... My well, the numbers are richest bigger. guy who's ever been, as far as I know, at least in sort of Western history. Well, maybe in today's numbers, I'm not sure that would apply, would it? Well, no, but I understand that it's not that uh, like today's dollar is not worth what a dollar was a hundred years ago. Yeah. But even a hundred years ago, you took an Andrew Carnegie, for instance, a really rich guy back mm -hmm. then. He didn't have nearly as much money, even um, correcting for the the century of money mm -hmm. as Bill Gates has now. But, but, I, I rel relative to the size of the economy, though. Uh, well, as far as the economy, I don't know, because there's so many more of us around than there was then. Uh, I don't know. Well, if in any case, he's very wealthy, and he's yeah. going to get wealthier. Well, yeah, and, and I was reading an article in, uh, in Fortune magazine the other day about him and, and how there's just now trying to sort of come to grips with how much money that is and what to do with it. Um, and, and part of it, obviously, is a lot of it's tied up in Microsoft stock, and he doesn't want to lose sort of control of Microsoft, so he can't just sort of go and get rid of it all. But uh, that he's getting these foundations set up. I guess his dad is running them. His dad's a retired lawyer. Uh, but uh, I was thinking about that. You know, if you had $90 billion, uh, and say, for instance, he did the Andrew Carnegie thing, and Carnegie, you know, as you know, was the uh, uh, industrialist who invented the better steel-making process mm -hmm. and basically cornered the steel market became extremely wealthy uh, and then decided to give everything virtually away uh, and ended up endowing most of the libraries in North America at Carnegie um, mm -hmm. 
uh, money. Uh, and it's his line that uh, the man who dies rich dies disgraced. Mm-hmm. So anyway, apparently uh, they say Bill Gates has read, read Carnegie's book and is very serious about all of this. And I'm thinking, if you had $90 billion as a private person to give away, what, what could you do? And I think, boy, you could do an awful lot. Uh, and one of the advantages that you... Like, like what? Like, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about giving it away to people who need it, right? You're not well, thinking about investing it and in, say, some incredible, uh, maybe the first... Uh, you know, man trip to the moon or something like that, where we could advance technologically by light years and in, and in that way benefit people around the world a hundredfold more. Well, again, that, that's the first thing you'd have to try and figure out. If you were genuinely interested in trying to do the most good with the money that you could, you would have to try and figure out where, where it would be best spent. One place where it would clearly not be best spent is just to give a bunch of money to poor people around the world, that obviously uh, you'd far better off to be looking at ways of getting agriculture going better and things to avoid starvation and that stuff. When we come back here, we're going to take a look at this. We're going to to ask my two guests to uh, imagine for us what they would do if they had $90 billion. Well, stay with us. Lots more to come on Left, Right, and Center. And if you have a question or comment for this portion of the program, Left, Right, and Center with Bob and Jeff, feel free to give us a call at 643-1290 or star-1290 on the Cantel. Now, before we broke for the spots, I said I was going to ask my guests and I'm putting them on the spot a little bit. Obviously, they're not going to go into detail. But if you were, and I'm going to, I'm going to back this up a little bit too. Not if somebody, if you had a million or ninety billion dollars in front of you, you're Bill Gates. You've got ninety billion dollars invested in Microsoft. Most of the money is in Microsoft. For starters, you're not going to get ninety billion dollars out of it because once you start selling it off, the price is going to fall. That's what happens. So maybe you get eighty, seventy, sixty, fifty. You're still going to have a ton of money. Um, but I'm going to start both of you guys. You are Bill Gates. You do have the money where it is now. And I know, Bob, this is gonna, you're going to have impl- implications for what you're going to say, I'm sure. Jeff, what do you do? You're not going to leave it there, but what are you going to do with it? Well, I guess uh, the, the first thing to start with, just, just again, you talk about how much money there is, uh, that uh, what, what they said in this article uh, was that, uh, of course, it's sort of an exponential thing, that he's been gathering wealth at such a great rate in the last several years that uh, they mentioned that it was about 10 years ago, he was only at $230 million, uh, you know, and now to be $90 billion. Even within the last year, he doubled as well. So they said that within four years, they expect he'll be at about $400 billion. Uh, now, if he spends the $90 billion now, he obviously won't have that. But over the next four years, he could reasonably expect to spend a couple hundred billion dollars if he wanted to uh, on his pet projects. Uh, now, the first thing he says is that it's really hard to give away money in a responsible way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, uh, that he's got this found two foundations set up and so on. But from my end of it, what I, I would think is that he would have the opportunity to, to basically do uh, an experiment uh, without all of the bureaucracy and uh, and sort of infighting and all that that's inherent in any government program, uh, and you could do an experiment in basically trying to uh, say alleviate world world hunger, you know. And I think theoretically that's possible if you had a couple hundred billion dollars, uh, you weren't. You don't need by money to alleviate world hunger. You just need free trade and freedom. That's it. Done. <laughs> You don't need money. Well, it's the people who don't believe we in freedom. We live in a free, think free trade money. economy today, and there still seems to be some some, some poverty going on. There's so anyway, in the areas that, that aren't exposed that, to free trade. Uh, uh, well, uh, I think we differ on that. But well, where's the, well, po- that's the uh, fact? I'd like to but know anyway. where where's the poverty though? I mean, and because when you say that that money would solve the problem, we have already thrown tens of billions of dollars to the hungry areas of the world, and we have seen and let's not beat around the bush. We have seen most of that money siphoned off 
by parasites and crooked governments. Well, that's what I'm saying is that he has the opportunity to avoid all of that if he chooses to. And I'm not talking about alleviating poverty because I don't think you can do that. And by definition, you know, there's always going to be poor people, no question. But should people actually be starving to death? And, and there is a certain percentage of people who starve because there are wars going on and it serves the interests of one side or the other to starve a bunch of people for political reasons. You know, and I don't know what you can do about that. But in a pure sense, to sit back and just say, look, at, there are areas in the world where there are, where there are um, problems with weather, there are droughts, there are things going on that cause people to starve. Uh, no, weather do doesn't cause people to starve. That? Well, I, I believe that I've seen pictures over the years of lots of people in, in, countries, in countries where, where they don't have, and they have the starved. right to accumulate wealth to see themselves <laughs> through those tough times. That's well, the again, countries where you see that. You take the that guys who are problem. so far below zero that telling them they can go and start a little micro-business or whatever means absolutely nothing. But, but Yeah, it doesn't again, mean anything to them, but to us in this Bill conversation, it means a lot. If because Bill wants to, again, he can go back and not deal with uh, government bureaucracy, not have to have it micromanaged and overseen by a zillion bureaucrats who take all the money out of it. Uh, you know, not have to get into all that kind of stuff. He can get the money straight to the source. Uh, and and, and it's, it's it's kind of a mind-boggling kind of a, a thing to exist. Um, now, you know, what he's going to do with it, who knows? But uh, and, and he's sort of easing his way into it at this point. I believe that the uh, foundation has uh, about $7 billion in it at this point. Uh, and he's done things. He's been giving away a ton of computers all across the United States. One of his things was that he wanted to wire the Carnegie libraries. So uh, Carnegie built the libraries, uh, Gates is making sure that they're all on the internet uh, and that uh, kids have access to it. Now, having said that, one of the things that, uh, that inevitably happens, and we sort of know from uh, all kinds of parables, you go in and try and do something good and somebody's going to bite you for it. Uh, I guess he's taking a lot of heat for, for installing Microsoft products in these libraries and saying, oh, you're just uh, developing a new, new generation of customers there. <laughs> but, uh, but having said that, though, it, I, I well, he is doing that, and he's and he's doing good for. Well, that's for, right. Maybe it's not a bad thing. Library. I don't know. I, I well, well, say that. Why that's do bad. we always have to give in such a way that one person loses or suffers a loss? Why why is it not noble to give when you gain as well? Uh, this is part of the moral issue that the whole world is facing. That that everybody believes that one person's gain is another person's loss. And as soon as they see that two people gain in a transaction, it blows away their minds. Oh, man, I can't believe that. You know, that that's capitalism. People don't trade freely unless both people get gain from the equation. The only time there's a loser in any transaction equation is when government forces it. We lose when we have to, when we only have one cable company okay. to choose from, you know, that kind okay. of thing. Back to, back to where yeah. we were now. You've got the $90 billion, Bob. What are you going to do with Well, it? I would certainly make certain that that, that uh, sum of capital would grow. And continue to grow, not dissipate it, mm -hmm. um, because capital is is not just a, a lump of money sitting in Scrooge McDuck's uh, vault somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's out there employing people. Like when we say we're going to take that money and put it somewhere else, we have to understand the consequence of what's going to happen when we take the money out of where it is now. Mm -hmm. Employing people, putting programmers to work, putting people, technicians, people. But who you're not going to you're rock. not going to do that. If you're Bill Gates and you're going to sell off the company, somebody is going to buy the company. The company is going to keep going. Those people are going to keep working. You're going to walk away with a, with a chunk of dough. What are you okay, going to do with the dough? Well, what am I, if I'm not going to be in that business yeah, anymore, you know well, I'm going to invest it in some other kind of business. That what would I, you do with it? Well, you're asking me to be an expert on a certain business. If yeah. sneakers were the big sellers no. this year, that's where I'd invest so, it. So you, you, if, you, you, if, from your perspective, it would be another business. You're not going to... Is there no element of the kind of altruist... Ah, that's a wrong word, but people... No, we'll use it. 
the kind of altruistic approach that Jeff took. Is there? And here's one for example. Well, you, you know, Jeff made an interesting comment that Bill Gates uh, made. He said he, he pointed out that Bill Gates said it's very difficult to give money away responsibly, mm -hmm. and. You know, in the context of who's saying that, can you imagine the mess our government is in, giving away all the money it does that it takes by taxes, in the way that it does it? Ah, that's true, yeah. When a person with billions of dollars who could actually choose where to put it is telling you it's very difficult to do. Um, if you read a lot of uh, things about, like, Andrew Carnegie and, and people like him and, and people who wrote about people like him, you'll find that giving was never done on, the, on a welfare basis, where you gave money to feed them. They always bought put things like libraries together yeah. where people would, would have an opportunity created for themselves that w could lead them to take the next step, sort of like a step up or what, what is that they say, a hand up instead of a hand out yeah. type of approach. Well, it's the argument. And that, that I wouldn't have a problem with. Instead of giving somebody a fish, you give them a fishing pole. That kind of idea. Yeah. Uh, here's one. There's a couple of things, though, that occur to me that, because uh, I'm going to play the game too, what I would do if I had access to that kind of financial power. There are a couple of things that you could do that that money would definitely make a difference having having and, and again it would he's quite right about the difficulty of using it properly but i think you could address that there are two things that this planet could could really really use right now that would make a huge difference one of them is inexpensive desalinization of water we know how to do it but it's very the processes we have today are very expensive if you were in a position like Bill Gates to have virtually unlimited funds for research, I think that is an area, and Jeff, you talked about eliminating hunger and so on and so on, that's an area where you could contribute to people's lives around the world, and, and with some restrictions, even the political system probably wouldn't get in the way too much. If, if you could come up with, and I'm sure the technologies, I'm a big believer in technology, I'm sure the technology is there somewhere, some combination of what we know now and what we don't know, or maybe entirely new technologies, to allow us to inexpensively desalinate, take the salt out of the water, uh, Jim, would if change it was the economic world. to do that, we'd be doing it now. Well, it is economic in a sense, Bob. I mean, in, 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 in practical economics, the, the machines do exist, and they do take the salt well, out of the water. that's a technological issue. Yes, we can technologically do a lot of things that we choose not to do, but because it's, a, it's still cheaper to... You know, sometimes, you know, it's like some, some people use a computer for every little detail, whereas I still use little notepads and papers yeah, to write yeah, down but little it's, sure, it's, it, it's, it's more efficient. It's cheaper not to have, in a econ purely economic sense, it's cheaper not to have as much water as they need in Israel, for example, or in the southwestern United States, or in the northern Sahara. Economically, it's not viable to do that now. One of the reasons it's not viable is because the to use the technology is too expensive. The point I'm trying to make is, if we had a technology that was inexpensive, it would radically change the face of, of the world in terms of being able to support people and produce crops and all those good things. The other thing that, that we need, that we could certainly use, is, is inexpensive solar energy gathering devices. We have solar panels now. We have solar, you know, you can buy the, the things. And so we had a guy in this morning talking about solar operated this and that and the other thing. The technology is still expensive. These are still expensive to build and expensive to use. Uh, the the uh, extrapolation of that is, if we look at many, many other examples of but technology. But you know why the technology is expensive? Because people aren't buying it. All technologies begin out Absolutely. very expensively. Okay, so what, what I'm saying, buy them, what I'm saying is, but, the price drop. but you could jump up that ladder. They're not buying them because it's not economically feasible for people in the first world to do it, so the third world is not going to get it at all. And because we, it's cheaper for us to keep using fossil fuels and the other things we do. Exactly. Economic. It's cheaper for us. The point I'm trying to make is, 
maybe we don't, maybe we've got to break out of that paradigm. What if we could jump three or four rungs up the ladder and say, okay, right now it's not cheaper. And you're quite right. When we thought it was appropriate in the first world, we're going to buy them. The price is going to come down. Eventually the third world gets them. Everybody's happy at it. What I'm saying is maybe we take the Chairman Mao's great leap forward, you know? Maybe that's what a guy like Bob or like Bill Gates could do, facilitate those kinds of, of major changes in terms of meeting the needs of people on the planet. Think of how this planet would change if we had readily accessible, huge amounts of readily accessible energy. Do you not think there are all kinds of people working on that right now? Well, sure there are. And who are investing money in discovering what that is. And what, it, it, the thing is, it takes that discovery and a proven product before you can take but it they, to the market they, and uh, say yeah, that but this I'm, is what I But I don't know. I don't know that we don't already know enough to do that. I don't know whether we do or not. My sense is, from what I read, is yes, we probably do. It is, a, it is a matter of dollars. It is a matter of research dollars. We've got to go farther along the path that we're on. Well, the, sorry, you know, like the issue with, for example, the desalination of water, it comes down to, is it cheaper to maybe transport a gallon of water from Lake Ontario to wherever than it is to It is now. Yes, it is. Yes. Well, as long as that's the case, any money you pour in the desalination processes, until you can get it down to the price so it's cheaper than moving that water out of the lake. Yeah. You're throwing your money away. But that's the whole that'd point. Be the goal. Well, you, yeah, well, that'd be a wonderful goal, and that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of people doing that, but, but for to 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 think that a guy like Bill Gates is just going to take his billions of dollars and put it into this project, which could go nowhere and could just fizzle, and all that money and capital is gone. Well, and, what does he care? Well, it isn't maybe gone. he doesn't. If, well, I'm, you know, I'm not saying it, it's not his right to do if it. You're right, though, Bob. It's not gone. It's gone into the economy, and it's doing something else. Yes, but as a as a thing of capital with, with which he could do something more productive and get results that perpetuate themselves continually. Yeah, but you don't know gone. he wouldn't. Come on now. You're well, I don't know he wouldn't, no, no. but we're, we're all speculating. But here, who's going to, I mean, you accumulate capital. One of, the, one of the key elements of accumulated capital is being prepared to take a certain amount of risk. So I'm suggesting that's a risk that I think would be worth taking. Well... If, if if Bill Gates would agree with you and had the same expertise you, you have on desalinization processes <laughs> and solar energy, I'm sure he'd go for it. You know, I saw the, uh, I think it was the Exxon building or one of those buildings in, at, at Epcot Center that is run by solar panels mm -hmm. and energy. The whole building's run on that, and you can see how expensive it is mm -hmm. and why it is, ex is an expensive process. And... Uh, you, you know, that this kind of technology is just something new to us. And, and it, something I've learned over the years, it's very true, that old saying, necessity is the mother of invention. But you said a moment or two ago, you talked about, feel free to jump in, John. You <laughs> talked about uh, perhaps one of the things we should do is, is fund more space travel because of all of the uh, quantum... Voluntarily, we yeah, wait, wait, sure. well, well, I would. Okay, yeah. fine. Maybe Bill Gates should, too. But what happens when we do that? What happens is we make those jumps up the ladder, the very ones that I'm talking about, mm -hmm. because we do focus the uh, energies and attentions and the funds it takes to do it on creating something. Well, one of the aspects of that, though, that, that interests me is if so you get so you get uh, plentiful fresh water, for instance, or you get plentiful uh, power. The next question then is to what end? You know, to what what are you going to use that for? Are you using it to, for instance, uh, to to concentrate that wealth? Uh, in the hands of people who can then sell a lot of that and make a lot of money, or is it you're going to use it to sort of make sure that that everybody has access to electricity in the world, for instance? And well, again, fresh water. well, it's not either or, Jeff. Um, it's both. That's how it works. Both. Remember, uh, both people that's benefit. That's not my experience. If you have a dollar, somebody owns it, or else somebody else does. Well, well, <laughs> but it, but the person you will be buying.
buying from is the guy that supplies you with what you want for the lower price. So you can't complain about how much you. Well, maybe what you do is if you're if you're Bill and you do develop this uh, this kitchen sink desalinizer or desalination, it's salination, it's not salinize, desalinization thing, desalination. We need some of that too. <laughs> yeah, if you've got a desalination technology and you build the build the units and anybody next to the seashore can throw the hose in the water and or in in the sea and come up with the, with the fresh water. Bill's still going to make the money selling the units. My point is that you make the units cheap enough that almost anybody could afford one. So that's your win-win well, situation, I think, isn't it? I think you should be, you know, putting your money into weaving gold out of straw. <laughs> I mean, I mean more if, if that's a risk you want to anyway. take, that's great. Take that risk if it's your money. Well, I don't you think know? it's that big a risk uh, 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 compared to the potential profits from it. We had... Uh, Paul Simon on the other day, the former American senator, who's very active now in this in concern about the world's freshwater reserves. He's written a book about it, and uh, he's a very intelligent guy. And and well, you he, see, if that's true that our reserves are dropping, that will make it economically feasible. It's not like some miracle is going to happen and we're going to all push our capital this way. It's going to go that way on its own. Yeah, eventually. 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 Well, uh, you know, eventually, without the space race, eventually we would have had computers, but it might have been 2099. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Instead of, instead of where we are in 1999. Another thing that sort of interests me about all that is a question of if, if you have folks who are accumulating that kind of wealth that they could, they could actually change something on the planet if they want to, if they dedicate themselves to one thing, that could be the thing that they change and they're remembered for forever. Um, the question then becomes, uh, should they or is that a good thing for them to be doing or if they don't do that, what's the alternative? Uh, if you've got guys with that kind of wealth, for instance, he's got a house that's worth $40 million, um, does he move into a Thirty billion dollar house. Uh, you know what? What? What ultimately is their life about? What is it that they want to accomplish or, uh, or be remembered for? And it suggests to me that if we're going to have this sort of concentration that we do in Canada now, there's what thirty-seven billionaires, for instance. Uh, I hope, and Bob and I may differ about whether this is something that should be sort of. Um, suggested to them strongly or they should just figure it out for themselves but I hope that they reach a point where they think we've got so much money that gives us so much power that we could actually do something really cool for the for the country or the world or whatever and that that may be a better thing to be remembered for than having died as the richest guy in Canada for instance and it'll be interesting to see whether that happens whether there is that evolution yeah, in a way it's it's funny, you know I, I think that by the very fact that they are that rich, that they've done an incredible thing for their country and that's the measurement of how much they've done for their Did country. You stop there? Uh, you, you, it's up to them. You don't put an, an obligation on them. Um, you know, a lot of wealth, you know, very wealthy people are going to have very wealthy surroundings. I mean, that's just natural, and it's expected. Except Sam Walton, he never did. Well, no, but but in the main, most of them will, and because people of of certain economic classes are the ones that generally associate with each other, and they want to associate in a certain environment. When Donald Trump had all his uh, big buildings and stuff, he made them as opulent as he possibly could make them to attract investors from Japan, to attract, uh, you know, the big-name people. Yeah, he liked to. One of the things stuff. that's interesting about the, they talk about uh, the Canadian uh, millionaires and billionaires, is say that, as Jim mentioned, three-quarters of them are self-made. These aren't people who grew up in opulent surroundings. They're people who have, mm -hmm. have come into the ability to do that. And that was something that, that always really impressed me about Sam Walton, is that he became in his day the richest guy in America with Walmart well, stores, but he always stayed in the same old house that he had bought back in 1960. Uh, he drove a beat-up old pickup truck, and that was something that I think people admired about him, that he stayed with his roots, even though he could have lived anywhere he wanted. We have to pause for a second. When we come back, Tom is going to join the discussion. You're welcome to it. 643-1290. This is Left, Right, and Center with Schlemmer and Metz, and Tom's been waiting. Hi, Tom. Hey, Jim. How you doing? Great, thank you. Good. Just wanted to share a story with you. Every, every time I hear discussions about the relative uh, justice of, uh, of um, 
concentrated wealth. Yep. I remember a story I read about Andrew Carnegie. Mm-hmm. And as the story goes, he was sitting in his office, and this was in the days, of course, the U.S. Steel was the largest company in the world, etc. Yep. And somehow this man got into his office and started lecturing him on how wrong it was for him to have all of this wealth and that it's not fair that there should be this concentration and so forth. So he could have argued with him and, you know, said, you know, I started with nothing and I built this up, et cetera, et cetera. But instead he just called his secretary in and said, uh, Mrs. Smith, what are, what, what are the total assets of U.S. Steel right now? And she said, well, they're about $1.5 billion, sir. And he said, okay, and what's the population of the world? And she said, it's about 3 billion people. So he said, well, would you give this man his 50 cents and see him to the door? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, just thought I'd share that with Great. you. Great. Thanks, Tom. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Reiner's with us. Hi, Reiner. Hello. Yes, sir. I think the gentleman's uh, um, uh, issue earlier about uh, um, desalination, desalinization of water yeah. and uh, solar power is a wonderful issue. I think we have an opportunity here to take a leap of faith and just invest not in the expectation of getting a huge return, but make an investment on the human side so that we can realize in the long term a, uh, a return that I don't think we've had an opportunity to realize in a long time. Yeah. What about the human side, Bob? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure who, who the we is that has this opportunity. We're talking about either Jim or Bill Gates or myself if we had this money in our own hands and what we would each do with it. Um, I've got nothing. I think the idea of finding a cheap way to desalinate water is a great idea. How, how could I be against that? It's, it just might not be the thing that I personally but you, no, to do. But, you suggested but if you could prove to me it was going to be economical and have a return and be of a great benefit to humankind, then I might put my But why, why is it necessary to be economical and have a return if we have an opportunity Because if here it's not economical, it will not exist. It won't happen. It's as simple as that. Economic is humanity. The thing that makes animals or people different from animals is economics in a great, great way, is that we trade with each other. I thought we had souls. Other. I thought that was what well, made us different. That's, that's, a, that's a spiritual <laughs> issue. But, but, and how is that whatever different you from believe anything else? Versus, you know, spiritually, it doesn't matter what you believe, you still have to abide by the same rules in the physical world. But I think what we're uh, saying here, the leap of faith is to say, I'm going to invest billions of dollars in something that I don't necessarily expect to make a cent on, just because it's going to make the world a better place, and I'm well, going to do it exactly. because I can. That's, all, that's the reason that most people made the wealth in the first place. You know, Bill Gates started out, you know, he started out in his garage, I heard, or something mm-hmm. like that, with some computers and, and just starting small. Um, I know a lot of people that started that way. That's how you do it, because you want to get out there and you have this dream that you want to better the world, but you're not doing this for nothing. You might end up doing it for nothing. You're willing to do it for nothing. But if you have an opportunity to take this leap of faith on our behalf, so that if there should be a downside, if there, uh, then he can, absorb, you know, he can absorb that downside, and we as a species don't have to worry about that. Well, We've had somebody go forward well, and say, you see what you're saying. You're direction. saying that you, want, you don't want to worry about it. You want to pass along your responsibility on to someone else. So no, no, take no. Care it's got nothing to do with, hey, it, if, it's, if you're talking about responsibility, then he is the best person who has the ability to respond. Yes, no problem. Uh, who are you talking about when you say Bill he, Gates? Uh, if he put his money into this kind of a exactly. of an investment, you're saying exactly. He has the he's in the best position right now to respond, or to have the ability to respond to certain issues, like um, the the promotion of hemp or the desalination of water or cheap solar power. Something that will empower the rest of us to be able to then take a look at these cheap resources and go, wow, what an opportunity I have here to make my contribution to go forward. Well, you know, when we say that something is economical, 
We mean that it is, it is the least wasteful of the way of, uh, in, in which to use our resources. No, we not don't. necessarily. No, come on, <laughs> uh, that is what we mean. We use a lot of disposable uh, uh, products that are not the, not least wasteful. They waste tons, but that happens the no, cheapest to make them. No, but still, it depends on what we want to waste. We choose what we want to waste, and that what we're wasting might be our time. What might be or the environment. cheap paper might be the environment, if you want to look at it that way. Yeah. Of course. But, but the only until, way to really look at it. Well, but the point is, until... The, the economics of it tells us that we have to restrain ourselves. You see, if you're in Europe, you're going to find that Europeans are much more environmentally minded because the economics of the situation demands it. They're in a tighter area. There's more people of them, or more people you know, per square mile. There are fewer resources locally anymore in terms of what they want to sustain these communities. So the economics changes. The price of gas goes up. The price of uh, everything basically goes up to accommodate those changes. But I think well, that's the whole point here is that we have a chance to suspend the law of economics to exactly. the extent no, of $90 you billion. Dollars. You can never... Well, you can. How, how can. The only way to do it is not... By is by force. No, no, but if he wants to, no, no. if the man wants to, if he, he wants can to, then we're not ignore the rules of economics to the tune of ninety billion dollars no, to make not, the world a better place. He's not ignoring any rules of economics. No, but if you're saying that he should take a leap of faith, I disagree. I think or, he should take or, a leap or of reason. Paradigm. No. You know, he should be. He should know what he's putting his money into, okay. and not just throw it at something on faith. Reiner, appreciate your call, sir. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We have to pause for a second. We're going to come back and talk to Michael on left, right, and center. Left, right, and center, and Michael's been waiting. Hi, Michael. Hello, Jim. How are you doing? Great, thanks. <clears throat> Just like to continue in the same uh, train of thought that the last call, uh, caller uh, had there. Yeah. I, I, I agree with him there. I am just uh, want to make a few comments about the leap of faith and people uh, thinking, well, putting stuff in, t time in, like uh, people like Alexander Graham Bell. I mean, yeah. he wasn't worried about getting a dollar out for a dollar in. He spent half his life uh, doing a telephone and teaching the the. Uh, coming up with uh, teaching the people that can't hear or, or yeah. whatever it was and stuff like that. Jonas Salk and uh, Banting, uh, Marconi, Thomas Edison and the boys at Menlo Park trying to invent a light bulb. All these things help people around the world. And I'm not so sure they were concerned about whether they were going to be millionaires or well, if they were going to double their capital in 10 years. But, you know, people invested in their research, which is what Gates could do, set up teams of people to do this, to do this, to do this, you know, various different things. That would, uh, and I'm sure the hucksters and the business guys and the sharpies will come Michael. along later and make the economics uh, work out of it after the products are there. Mike, Michael, what would you do if you had the money? I think that was the key question, not what Bill Gates should do with it, or what we think Bill Gates should do with it. You know, I think people, people, that's what, people, that's people dream of getting off what I was just saying. I'm talking about people putting their time in to come up with an idea that would serve all humanity, as, as we've seen in the last 150 years, and to those people in particular. They weren't worried about the. They were doing it on a, it on a human humanity level. It wasn't profit driven. It wasn't well, profit driven. Right. That's, right. Well, that's. I made that very point just before the commercial break, though. But but I think people take a different attitude when when they're asked what what do you think so and so should do with X money, rather than what would you do with it if it was your money. Although, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that occurs to me about this with Gates is that uh, part of the reason it's such big news that he's doing this is because it's relatively unusual for that to be happening. And I, I read that his dad had said that he that Gates had been heavily influenced by Ted Turner, who had announced he was going to give a billion dollars to the U.N. and sort of got him thinking about it. Uh, and, and again, it would be really nice if that could become a bit of a trend. Now, in the past, we've had certainly all kinds of altruistic people in history, but all kinds of other ones who weren't. Um, I think about the dollar-a-year men, for instance, during the war, they were bringing uh, business executives to... Uh, and they would they would work for a dollar a year for for the better, the greater cause, 
uh, that that to me is kind of a neat thing, and it gets away from the pure dollar-driven. Uh, uh, but it wouldn't be possible unless the person already had an accumulation of wealth. But there are that lots could live to do. Well, yeah, but, that, but, but you're still saying that it's a neat thing to work for nothing. It is if you've already got all your money, I guess. But that's not most of the people out there. To some extent, I wonder whether whether values have to change or whether this might be the the beginning of a bit of a change in values away from uh, self-made people measuring their their importance by the amount of wealth they have and starting to look beyond that and well, say, well, let, let, let me look instead at what I could actually do to change the world for the better before that's I That's how 99.9% .9 of people do it. I mean, you know, I'm not making any money running the Freedom Party of Ontario right now. I would like to be able to. It's not that I, I'm not in this for the money, that's for sure. You don't but get in that kind of career, that but point, that's though, the very point. Why are well, you doing well, it? Well, well, because I choose to do it. This, yeah. That's my point. It's because my you choice. Believe, because you believe you're going to better your society. Right. Well, then what's the difference between the guy who says, I don't care if it's it's not profit-driven. Maybe this is, Maybe I'm not going to make a profit. Maybe this isn't going to. Maybe it's not economically sound. But I think if I do it, it'll benefit my society. What's wrong yeah, with that? I mean, nothing wrong with today, that. But, but humanity that's, down the road. Well, yeah, yeah, no, no, the, here's the issue. The issue is that if humanity does profit from your sacrifice, you will gain from it. And you may not be that point, from it. Well, you might it not. That's matter whether you gain or not. Well, yeah, it should. You may, you may not. Yeah, you may or may not. That's right, because that's, that's what risk is about. That's what the whole idea of risk is about. And, but if your risk pays off, that's where the problem starts with the rest of society, is they become envious of you because you've, you've created the thing you wanted to do, and then they want another chunk of it. Now, Michael, I'm afraid I have to yeah, leave it there, but sure. thanks for your call. And Len's up. Hi, Len. Hi, Jim. How yeah, are you? Good. Got about a minute for you here. Just one minute. I guess if I had those billions of dollars, as you know me, I'd be uh, pouring into education. Free education around the world. Uh, many, many of our societies, of course, education is not free. And I would bring uh, uh, my wealth to provide education for those children that cannot afford it. And then I would, you know, the, the gains would be phenomenal. If and, and, of course, the other side of the coin, I'd be bringing uh, poor children into Canada and educating them with the deal that they'd be going back and taking their uh, expertise with them. And then what would happen when the money ran out? I, I guess the money runs out, it doesn't run out, because those, because those young people are going to take that education that they have learned, and uh, it will multiply thousands of fold after that. So that they will have to put those thousands of fold into the same education system? Sure. Ah, okay. So, so they, it'll, it'll keep on growing, and young people will, uh, like, like the Bill Gates that was afforded education, though he dropped out after, I believe, after his first year of university. Right. But Len, Len, why wouldn't you pick, say, health care? Well, don't you think that maybe finding a cure to cancer is more well, important? Well, Len isn't interested in education. Len's a yeah, be, teacher. Be, be, well, but that's my, you know... The, the cure for health care, uh, or the cure for cancer, is, is going to come from, from educated young people. Yeah. And, and, from, and from that education, we're, we're going to come up with, uh, with you know, new advances for medicine, new cures, whatever. It's not going to come forth with uh, uh, plowing some money into some buildings downtown or whatever. That, that is not going to do it. Well, it's a heck of a kickstart anyway. Yeah, Len, appreciate the call today. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks bye -bye. for joining us. And uh, Robert and uh, Jeff, always a pleasure. Look forward to having you again, folks. And I uh, hope you enjoyed this edition of uh, Left, Right, and Center. Again, if there's a topic or a subject you'd like to have covered on here, you'd like to hear us chat about it, drop us a line and let us know. We're always pleased to hear from you. On tomorrow's program, my old buddy Don Van Massenhoven is in to talk about his annual uh, baseball game and uh, talk a little bit about life in the NHL this past season two and uh, escalating player salaries and so on and so on. He'll be our guest tomorrow. We take a look at the uh, supposed connection between the CIA and the States and the explosion in crack cocaine in the United States. A lot of people are uh, 
suggesting, and there's a lot of evidence uncovered that the American government may have had a hand in this. We've also got a profile of George W. Bush, that's the former president's son who wants to be president, got treasures in the attic with Paul and Tiffany from Gardner Auctions, too. So it will be a busy show on the Thursday talk of the hour. I hope you can join us. For Jeff and for Bob and Ryan and Kathleen and all the folks here at 1290 CJBK, it's Jim saying take care of each other, mind how you go. We've got Bud Boyle on Ask the Experts a half hour from now. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.